Psalm chapter 23. And thank you for coming back on a Sunday night at the church. What a blessing it is. And uh, I'm going to apologize. I lied to somebody. I said I was going to do your song. Not that one, the other one. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I promise. I will do that this week. And uh, I lied tonight, but uh, we'll do that when I, I promise you that. And uh, she said, she said, you remind me, uh, and, and uh, she wasn't offended me. She said, you remind me of Jimmy Swagger when you sang that. And I said, I won't sing it again. No, but uh, no. one lady, one time I wrote a song, and uh, um, oh, the title of that song is I wrote it. I should know the title, I guess. Um, God gives strength to the weary, help to the faint, hope to those who think they can't go on. He will lift up the fallen, heal your wounded heart, uh, comfort you from midnight until dawn. Our God is near. That's the name of it. We, will carry, we must carry on. And, uh, and, and we sang it as a quartet. And as soon as we got done, after the service, the lady said, that was such a blessing. She said, you reminded me so much of Tammy Faye Baker. I was like, we won't sing that one again. No, but no, it was fine. And so one of our quartet members, they wrote Tammy Faye at the top of the song. I was like, you jerk. But um, anyway, Psalm chapter 23, Psalm chapter 23, and we'll go where we left off this morning. And uh, hopefully, you know, you came to hear the rest of that message. And it's like Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. But uh, it is a blessing to be able to preach again tonight. And you pray for me. And uh, the preacher took me out to lunch and we had some good Indian food. And how many of you like Indian food? Oh, we got a lot more than I thought. And uh, he said he just likes food, amen. And I can relate to that right there. I can, and uh, you don't get a body like this from fasting. You get, you get this from feasting, okay? And so I don't think that my spiritual gift is not fasting. So, you know, I will do the praying part. You do the fasting part. We'll make a good partnership. But uh, anyways, we have some good food. And, and uh, Indian food, a lot of times, I call it good nap food. Just like soul food, amen. And uh, you eat some of that soul food down south. You just want to go to sleep afterwards. And so I had a good nap. And so um, this is going to be the greatest four-hour service of your life. So Psalm chapter 23. And, of course, we talked about this morning in verse number 1. We said there's a shepherd. There's a pastor, excuse me, in verse number 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Then we said in number 2 there was provision. He said, I shall not want, and he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And he leadeth me beside the still water. Can I, Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight from the Holy Scriptures. Lord, if there's a lost one here, uh, please, Lord, convict them of their lost condition, of their sinfulness, that they might be saved. I pray that you'd encourage the saved. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I've prayed already because I'm about to get into preaching already. And I'm like, I can't do an introduction and then pray because we're just going to jump right off into it. I think it's something to, to be noted here when the Bible says, He maketh me to lie down. And, of course, we focused this morning on the green pastures and brought my handkerchief tonight. Somebody said, you were sweating this morning. I said, hey man, I don't, I don't perspire or glisten. I sweat, all right? And, uh, but we talked about that this morning, about the green pastures and about how he makes provision for us. And, and, um, and, that's, and that's all good and well. But I think it's very interesting that we didn't put much emphasis on it this morning. But the Bible didn't just say he led me. It says this. It says, he maketh me to lie down. In green pastures. If you do a little bit of studying on sheep tonight, you would understand this. Many times when the sheep, when they're, when they're rebelling against the shepherd, they will run out and there's a lot of cliffs and there's a lot of things in, in that part of the world there in Israel. And if they're not careful, they will run right off of a cliff in their rebellion. And they'll end up killing themselves, uh, 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 kind of uh, 
by accident because they're rebelling against the shepherd and they will recognize his voice. But many of them, they don't want to be brought under authority. Kind of sound like some church members I know, but they don't want to be brought under anybody's authority. And so they will rebel and they'll take off, not knowing where they're going. And here's what will happen to them. If that shepherd does nothing but follow them, what will happen is because they're rebellious, they will jump off of that cliff. And so what the shepherd has to do, he has to use his voice, his communication with them, and he has to speak with them. Even in their rebellion, he has to speak to them. And if he can get them to lay down, it's less of a risk to them. It's also less of a risk because as they're running away in the rebellion, they're much like the deer, their heart can explode. Their heart can be overwhelmed within them like we talked about a little bit this morning, and they can drop over dead like that. And oh, how we need to listen, even sometimes in our rebellion, we need to start seeking out the voice of God. Through his word, through surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God, when the Bible is preached and when songs about the word of God and the truths of the word of God, that's why he said teaching and admonishing another, even in psalms, hymns, and in spiritual songs. This is, by the way, why I believe in the old hymns. I don't believe in hymns just because they're old. If that's the case, I would believe in your pastor, and I don't believe... Never mind. And, uh, and, uh, I, got, I, I can't tease him too much. I'm right behind him. And, uh, and I think I may catch up to him in a minute here. But uh, you understand, we don't sing hymns in the church just because they're old. Every song in that hymn book was new at one point or another. We don't sing them because they're old. We sing them because they teach and preach the word of God. And that's why when, he, when it, all, the, all the song says is, you are awesome, 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 you are awesome. That's not teaching you anything. Okay? That's not admonishing you in anything. What we need is songs, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Well, that's the kind of song we need. Rock of Age, I like the, they call it the Baptist National Anthem. Rock of Age is cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the flood from thy wound, blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. When I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, and I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine, Ebenezer. Remember that? That Old Testament where they, uh, uh, I believe it was Abraham, and he raised that Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a stone of help. It's a monument to the goodness of God. Here I raise mine, Ebenezer, because hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy great pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, and he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. That's why we sing the hymn songs. Not because what it does is it allows us to hear the voice of God. There's a song that I sing oftentimes. I recorded a few years ago called The Voice of the Shepherd. And I I found out when I recorded it, there was a young man. Somebody had shared my song with him on my YouTube. Of course, there's the YouTube channels and all our CDs around that stuff and all the listening platforms and our quartet and then the solo CDs. And, And this young man, somebody sent him the song and he messaged me and he said, Brother Allen, he said, do you know who wrote that song? And I said, actually, I have no idea who wrote that song. I said, as a matter of fact, when we recorded it, what we do when we cannot find a writer of a song, we'll set the money aside for the royalties until we can find them. 
and we keep an account there just in case we're ever able to find the. But some songs, you just can't find the author of them. And so we, we couldn't find the author of the song, so we set that money to the side, and, and uh, I said, listen, I said, I have no idea who wrote that song. And he said, well, good. And I'm like, what do you mean good? And he said, my daddy actually wrote that song. And he said, I want to tell you, he said, but my dad didn't want to take the credit for the song, but I was just making sure nobody else took the credit for the song either. It's kind of like my one buddy who wrote the song Footprints, who wrote the poem Footprints. It was, I don't know if you knew Brother Willard Thomas uh, ever, but he, he wrote a poem, a Footprints. He was an independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. I mean, he was rip-roaring, camp-meeting type preacher. I met him about four or five times in Tennessee, and uh, some lady later claimed that she wrote the poem Footprints, and he's like, nope, here's the original manuscript right here, and he had to take her to court to get her name off of the poem. And uh, he, he wrote a bunch of poems. He got a book about that thick, and, um, and uh, he wrote a ton of poems. Some of them they made into songs. And uh, he, uh, the Primitive Quartet recorded one of his songs. He, di- he didn't stay gone and he won't stay dead. And uh, I love it. He, great man. But it's the same thing. They wanted to make sure nobody was taking credit for this song, The Voice of the Shepherd. And how fitting it would be. I probably should have sang it for the message tonight. I'll sing it tomorrow. And uh, we'll get the shepherd theme going this week. But it's about him hearing the voice of the shepherd and thinking that the shepherd is coming to judge him. Thinking that the shepherd is about to is about to take his life, and he says, surely uh, he, he's angry with me. He's about to judge me. But then it said, it, it was the voice of the shepherd. He was calling my name. He came and he rescued me, and it won't be the same. He drew me up next to him, and he whispered to me, I left 99 at home to find the lost sheep. And I said, man, that's great. He said, there's more to the story, though. He said, my daddy was a pastor of a, of a Baptist church. And he said, because of fighting in the church and things that happened in the church, he said, my dad finally said, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with it all. He said, my daddy walked away from God. He began to drink and live his life as if there was no God. And God began to work on his heart through some circumstances and the people in his life. And, and he felt the Lord calling him back again. But he said, oh, no. He said, I know if the shepherd ever comes near me, it's not going to be good. He's going to judge me. All the things that I've done, I've doubted him. I started drinking. I started living my life as if there was no God. Uh, But he said there was something about the shepherd. Uh, When he listened to his voice uh, and the shepherd called him back to himself, he said the shepherd didn't come to me in anger. The shepherd didn't come to me in bitterness. uh, But the shepherd came to me in love. He drew me up again and he took me back to the sheepfold. And he said, now my dad's been living for Jesus now all these years. His testimony is actually on YouTube. He sent me a link to it. And I'm telling you, many of us, we, 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 what we need to do is we need to listen to the voice of the shepherd. And sometimes the voice of the shepherd just says, you need to sit still for a little while. He's not angry with you right now. He understands that all of us, a man in his greatest state, the Bible says, is altogether vanity. All of us have strayed away from the Lord, haven't we? But I'm glad for the shepherd tonight that can make me lie down in green pastures. Then we talked this morning about him giving us peace to those storms. And then we talked about the part. And I want to talk to you tonight. Uh, Let's take a look down at verse number five, I think, is where we are tonight. The Bible says, verse number three, excuse me, he restores my soul. Then he says this, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
watch this, not only is there a pastor, not only is there provision, not only is there peace, not only is there a pardon in Psalm chapter 23, but watch this, I'm glad there's a plan and a path in Psalm chapter 23. So what do you mean by this, Brother Allen? The Bible said this shepherd is going to lead us in paths of righteousness. These well-worn trails, uh, this I was telling the preacher yesterday about the, I think I was telling you about this, uh, somebody recently, about how I almost caused an international incident with the Bedouins, was that you? And uh, I thought I was going to have to chunk a Bedouin off the side of a mountain over there in Israel. We were at this place known as Wadi Kelt, and Wadi Kelt is about uh, almost at the north end of the Jericho Road. You know, we sing songs about that, on the Jericho Road. There's room for us too. We think about the Good Samaritan. It happened right along this road right here. And we were right there, two cliffs on both sides of this valley. It's crazy. And he's trying to sell us all this stuff. And he, they told us, they said, don't let anybody put anything on you. Don't let anybody put anything in your hand or put anything on you unless you want to buy it. Because they will get rowdy. And uh, one thing is that both Jews and Arabs, they both understand, it, it, it's that green stuff in my pocket. I'm not talking about the boogers I hit in there, okay? And uh, some, of these, some of these junior high boys are like, I got that too. No, but uh, not the kind of stuff you have in your pockets. They understand money. And, and the, but the, one of the boys that was with us, who's about 19 years old, he let them put this shawl over his shoulders. Now, if you've ever been in another country, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're in a, when you're in a uh, they call them bazaars and all that kind of places in the marketplaces, you just don't pick up stuff and, 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 and let them, especially salespeople, you don't let them put stuff in your hand or put on unless you are willing to buy. And he let them put this thing on his shoulders. And I thought, oh, dear Lord. They got to understand, to get there, we had, it, was like, it was like on the side of this mountain, we had to take this path up here. The only thing there is like a couple posts and a little bitty chain here and then 200 foot drops. And I'm telling you, it was, it was nuts. And I'm thinking, so he, they put it on him. And then I'm like, how am I going to get this off of this kid? So I'm like, I'm inching near him, and I was near the back corralling everybody. And finally, I just reached over, and I took it off of him. And when I did that, this, 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 <laughs> this, this Bedouin, this Arab Bedouin started to go to town. And he said, I got 12 kids at home. and I should have one-upped him. I should have said, I got 24. Now what? No. But uh, he's, he's, I got 12 kids. I'm going to take it. I started going out. I said, no, no, no. I want to buy it. I want to buy it. And he's like, ah. I'm like, calm down. Finally, I got it. He's like, oh, money. <laughs> All I did was flash a $5 bill. He's like, yes, okay, I'm there. It's crazy. But you could see the paths in this area where the shepherd had led their sheep over and over and over and over again. You could see in the fields, and much like some of you in here today, that you, those of you that are, that, are, that are a little more spiritual than the other cat people we talked about this morning, and you might have a dog. And you even know this about your dog. Most of the time, your dog will start to walk in the same pattern, Ornie. Some of you might have a horse in here. Might have horses? You're out west. You ought to have some horse. Oh, we're not that west, okay? And uh, we're a different kind of west. We're in the, you know, yeah, we're in the left wing. We're at left, okay? And uh, we're in the coffee west. I'm sorry. I thought you had cowboys out here. Watch this. If you ever have horses, same thing. What these animals will do is they will begin to walk a path and they even tend to, I don't mean to be crude, but they oftentimes tend to use the bathroom in the same areas, don't they? That's why there's that one patch of grass in the corner of your yard. And they will walk these paths 
time after time after time after time. What they are is they're the right paths. They're the paths that the shepherd has allowed them to. I told your cameraman, we're getting a workout tonight again. And uh, they walk those paths time after time after time after time after time because here's what's going to happen. There's going to come a day when something, somebody, or nightfall is going to come and they can no longer see that path. I had a friend who had some horses, and the horses got loose one night. And they were out in the country, West Tennessee, and there was no street lights there. They couldn't just call them back to themselves. They couldn't even see them to where to find them. And sometimes they would find the glistening of their eyes, and they could tell kind of where some of them were, but they couldn't find them anymore. And he said, I was running around and running around and trying to get a hold of these horses. He said, I was running out there like a madman trying to get them all back together again. And he said, all of a sudden, in the middle of it all, he said, I kind of noticed with my feet, because he was barefoot, he said, I could feel those well-worn paths. And he said, what I started to do was, he said, I started to walk slower, and I could feel where the paths were. And he said, when, once my feet got used to it, he said, I could tell when I was coming out to near a turn there. And he said, all of a sudden, I could come into a jog and into a run uh, because I could feel where those well-worn paths are. And he said, that's where I found all of them. He said, the same paths that I had been walking with them all of this time before, he said, I could find those paths. He said, but Alan, what in the world does it have to do with the Bible? Here's what it is. There comes a point in your life sometimes where you cannot see the path ahead when you don't know what tomorrow when you don't know what tomorrow may hold and it seems like darkness all around you and you don't even feel like you can make the right decisions and you feel like you can't make any decisions what you need to do is to in that darkness find out where the shepherd led you before find the songs that you sang in the daytime hour find the preacher that you had in the daytime hour look at the decisions you made when God began to speak to your heart in the daytime hours so that when the nighttime hours come, you can find the same path. You know why you ought to read your Bible right now when you don't have problems, some of you? Because there's going to come a day when the problems come. And your feet are going to need to find those same paths. This is why you're as a young person, you ought to be memorizing scriptures. You ought to be storing those scriptures away. Why? Because the time is going to come. The Bible says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not nigh. Why? Because as sure as, as the Bible says uh, the, the seasons are, as the sparks fly upward, the Bible says, so a man is born to trouble. Man's days are few and they're full of trouble. Listen, it is coming. You say, but Alan, I've had a cushy life. Nothing wrong has gone wrong in my life. Well, you listen to me tonight. It's going to come into your life. And the midnight hours are going to show up. And what you're going to need is you're going to need some of those Bible verses that you should have been tucking into your heart while you were not having the evil days. And this is why some of y'all to tuck Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse number 5 through 8. But thou, O Lord, art a shield unto me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And some of you listen to me. You need to start tucking these Bible verses into your heart. You need to tuck it that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable. You need to tuck Romans 8, 28 in your heart so that when the midnight hours come and you can't feel which way ahead, you can say, oh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Let me ask you this. When the preaching time's going on, are you are you following the path? 
God's trying to lead you as a man of the Lord and stands week after week after week preaching the word of God to you, leading you through the scriptures uh, and feeding you spiritual food. Uh, and when your Sunday school teachers stand up before you and they have revivals like this, uh, is there anything that's connecting? Are you allowing him to lead you in those paths? Because when the dark days come, you're going to need to... I forget the scripture it says, it talks about Maybe in Romans chapter 1 and maybe a different passage where it says it talked about how God was still reaching out to the heathen lest while they feel after him, they might find him. You know, there's sometimes in my life when I couldn't see him and all I could do was kind of feel out there and see if he was still out there. The Bible said Job came to the conclusion himself. He said, listen, I may not be able to see God. He had lost his cattle. He had lost his castle. He had lost his children. He had just about lost his companion. He had lost everything. And the Bible said that he claimed to the conclusion that, listen, I cannot see God. I don't even know where he is right now, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And this is why we ought to follow him during the daytime hours. This is why you ought to, some of you ought to store up some messages in your life for the nighttime hours. This is why I'm telling you, we, there, I believe in this generation, we need to get back to listening to a lot less music and a lot more preaching. Amen. I'm telling you, we, we've come to a generation, this, this is, by the way, this is why some of them are going so much of this fluff music, because we don't listen to preaching. And we don't listen to enough preaching, it doesn't tell you to write music. And, and when you, when you, you, here's what happens in a church. When you have strong preaching and strong biblical preaching, it's very rare that you're going to find very weak, cream puffy music. They usually match each other. And those who have watered down preaching, they generally have watered down music as well. But I believe we need to get back to the place where we're getting back to preaching again. Say, who do I listen to? Well, get with your preacher and say, have him give you some names of who to listen to. And I've, I listen, I've looked at some of the names you had coming here. Brother, I'm telling you, Brother Wagon Shoots, I mean, challenge me every time. I, I can listen to Brother Wagon Shoots all day long. And preachers like this, preachers that are preaching the word of God, and what some of you need to do is turn off the talk radio and listen to preaching. I'm going to tell you what made a difference in my life as a young Christian when I started listening to preaching. Many of you know parts of my testimony. One of the parts of my testimony I don't usually share, I used to get dropped off my senior year of high school. My mom got saved, but she didn't grow really for a long time as a Christian. And she allowed people and things into our house that shouldn't have been there. And I remember I used to get dropped off Sunday nights, 1315A South 15th Street, the south side of Milwaukee. And I'd get, dro I'd get dropped off. And I, I, by the time I opened, we lived upstairs, and by the time I opened the door to the downstairs screen, I could already smell the weed from upstairs. I could hear the music playing, Tupac, I mean rap, filthy rap, I just hear it playing in the background. I could smell the smoke, I could hear the cuss words coming out of their mouths as they were having a good time. And oftentimes I just walked straight to my room. Straight up those stairs. My room was right across from the stairs. I just walked straight into my room, closed the door, and put on a preaching tape. And listen, I was not a perfect Christian. I'm still not one right now. I got more faults and, and things you can shake a stick at. But I know this. One thing that's been a great blessing in my life is to have some things that during the midnight hours and some preaching that I could find when I couldn't find my way out. 
And God began to use those same people, those same sermons, those same Bible verses, those same songs to lead me in the paths of righteousness. But here's what it is. It's for his name's sake. What if I said tonight, I was talking to this young man before church. What's your name again, buddy? What's that? Cameron. That's a pretty cool name. Start with a C or a K. I like it even more. All great names start with a C. When's your birthday? Look at that. He doesn't even know his own birthday. My birthday, June 16th. Come on. I like you more and more. My aunt's birthday, the one who could quote Psalm 23 even though she was drunk, her birthday was June 26th. You been drinking? Just kidding. And uh, <laughs> he's like, well, not today. <laughs> Watch this. If I said, Cameron, I want you to take care of my dog. I've got a dog here, and I don't have any dogs, so don't get nervous. I'm actually allergic to dogs and cats and junior hires. But anyways, if I said, Cameron, I want you to take care of my dog. I'm going out of town here. And I want you to take care of my dog. And I go away. And I come back. And I'm like, Cameron, where's my dog? He's like, what? What, what dog? And I'm like, dude, don't play with me. That's my dog. And he's like, well, you know, <laughs> you know right after you left, he kind of went that way. I'm like, did you follow him? Well, no, not really. Do you think next time I leave town, I'll say, Cameron, could you take care of my other dog too? Why? His name's ruined. Watch this. Do you know you, have, you serve a shepherd that's never lost one sheep? Do you know he's never let one of them run off a cliff without him? Because he's leading us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. My pastor's father-in-law, he was, he was part of a... I forget the name of the group, but uh, there were, he ran with a, uh, for a while in his younger years. With, he helped him as a pastor in, uh, in the Bitterroot River, uh, what they call it, the Bitterroot Range, right there in Montana there. And he, he rode with a group, and there was a group of cowboys there, and they were driving the cattle, and they, were, they, they would put a brand on those cattle. You know, and they would call themselves the 86ers. And they would, they would sear that brand on those cattle. And they knew as they were driving those cattle, for their name's sake, they didn't want to lose a cattle. They didn't want to lose a head of cattle. Listen to me. They knew it. Their reputation was on the line. Can I tell you tonight, you serve a God that's not going to abandon you, not just for you, not so you can feel better, but he's going to do it for his name's sake. I got to move forward to this chapter because I'm about to touch an area where I don't where it's it's about to come it's about to be alive in these verses right here. Watch this. There's a path in Psalm 23. Watch this. Watch what he says. Then he gets down here and he says, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me." Watch this. Not only is there a pastor and provision and peace and a pardon, and a path in Psalm 23. Watch that. There is a presence in Psalm 23. We, we tend to use this song as a song to, psalm to die by because of this verse right here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but tonight, do you know, if 
excuse me, if you were to look at what the valley of the shadow of death is, you would almost come to a disappointing conclusion that it wasn't just one specific valley. Now, we use that terminology. We were talking about it this afternoon. We use songs and we say, you know, oh, no, I'm not afraid to cross that river. My father owns the land on both sides. He'll walk with me through the shadows. Then home, sweet home, I'll abide. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 crossing over the river and camp, uh, Canaan land, living in Canaan. Now, we use those terminologies sometimes to represent death. And I understand that, but we understand that Canaan land is a picture of the victorious Christian life. It's not really death. But we use that terminology and we hear this verse and we say, Yea, do I walk to the valley of the shadow of death? And we think that's about dying. But my friend, if you begin to study it out, you'll find out that there were several areas known as the valley of the shadow of death. One of those areas was outside of the Temple Mount. The Kidron Valley, as you come from the Mount of Olives there that comes down the Palm Sunday Road there, and you'll see the Garden of Gethsemane at the bottom of that, and, and uh, you kind of lead you down to the Kidron Valley, and then just kind of up above you is the Temple Mount, and Calvary's over here, and the empty tombs over that way as well. Right outside of the Eastern Gate, they actually, and, and really on the Mount of Olives, there's all those graves, remember all those graves that were there? And you're literally writing for some of them, when they picture the valley of the shadow of death, they picture that area right there. And outside of the eastern gate there, they, they actually, it's a, it's a Muslim cemetery. And they put it right out there outside of the eastern gate. That's one of those places known as the valley of the shadow of death. But what we don't understand is there, there are many valleys out in that area there, and, and some of you don't realize this because you haven't been there. And I know my preconceived notions of what Israel was going to be like. But it reminded me of East Tennessee. There ain't one bit of flat land just about in that place. I mean, I got some East Tennessee friends that one leg is longer than the other just walking on hillside so much. And that's how it is. I mean, you're constantly going through valleys, in and up a mountain, outside a hill, up and down these hills all the time. It's amazing, and everything is closer together than what you think it is, but it's a hard journey because of the hills and the climbing everything here. And sometimes we think it's beautiful. We, we sing songs about, I shall go to dwell on Zion's hill. And I'm like, Zion's ugly. It's a rocky wilderness. But as we stood there over Wadi Kelt, it reminded me of this, this idea that the Jews would talk about, that valley of the shadow of death. These were narrow valleys. And you said, I think you said you went to that monastery that was on the other side. We were on the other side of there in Wadi Kelt where I almost threw the bed and went off. And if you could picture with me in your mind this valley, Jesus, remember when Jesus went from Galilee when he was a little boy? When he was in the city of Nazareth up in the north in Galilee, and he went down at 12 years old, he walked that very road down to Jerusalem. It's that same road when the Bible said about the Good Samaritan where a certain man went down from, from Jerusalem to Jericho up in the north, and he fell among the thieves. That was a dangerous valley. This Jericho road was in this same dangerous valley. Why was it so dangerous? Because it was a very narrow valley. 
Say, what's so special about the narrow valley? Well, when you, if you understand, if you ever lived in an area like that, when it rains and all the rain begins to pour into that valley and it could drown your herd of sheep that fast and that flash flood would happen and you were in danger because of that. And it was almost to the point where it was a death trap if you got caught at the wrong time in that valley. But not only that, the narrowness of that valley also caused another problem. Where thieves and robbers could hide around the corner while you're walking through that valley. You went to the city of Petra, much like that, those narrow passageways. And as you go here, sometimes it would open up into something else. And sometimes you don't know what was around the next corner. And there would be thieves and robbers, just like the story of the Good Samaritan. And it could also be a death trap for you. But not only that, but while they were there, there were certain animals. Remember David said, he said, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. And always when I heard that story in the Bible about David killing the lion, I'd always picture like this, this prairie and this flat land. And it just doesn't happen in that area very much. Most likely he was in a valley somewhere trying to keep watch. And he could have been in one of those narrow valleys. And a lot of times around those corners and in those dark places because the sun could not get into the valleys. There would be those dark places. And all of a sudden in those dark places they could come around that corner and as he's driving the sheep there, there's a wolf or a lion or a bear right around that corner in those dark places. And David said, I understand what that's like. And David, no doubt in his life, had just like you and I, we had been through those narrow valleys and we've had the storms of life come. And then if we're not careful, those storms of life can flood us out, can't they? And if we're not careful, the enemy, the Bible says, the thief, he cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy and Satan sometimes is waiting around that corner just like the thieves on the Jericho Road and he begins to slap us around and he begins to steal some things from us and he begins to injure us on that valley of the shadow of death. And then sometimes there's other enemies. You remember Paul said, he said, man, the beasts, he talked, he talked about men were like beasts and they were attacking him. He talked about Alexander the coppersmith when he rose up against him. He said, at my first accusation, no man stood with me. He said, I, I, Jesus even called these men, these Pharisees, John the Baptist. He said, you're like a bunch of vipers and you're full of, you're full of venom. And sometimes the valley brings out some of the creepy, crawly creatures in our lives. But David said this, I will fear no evil. You want to know why? Because thou art with me. And I tell you what's going to get you through your life. It's not you never going through a valley. It's not you not facing the hard times. It's not you not having the thief and the robber called Satan into your life. It's not that you don't have any enemies in your life. The difference maker in your life and in my life of living the Psalm 23 life, it's not the absence of our problems. It is the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And can I tell you this, this evening, if you've got Jesus Christ, you have more than what you need. Uh, why? Paul said, uh, listen, he is with us. Uh, he, is, he is the one that is our sustainer. He is the one that is our glory and the lifter of our head. Uh, and what we need tonight uh, is more the presence of Almighty God, or shall we say more of a recognition of the presence of Almighty God. Because if you're saved, listen to me, you can't get any more of him than you have right now. But he sure can get more of you. And what we need in our lives is a realization of his presence. Because here's what happens. Oh, I love this part. He said, thou art with me. What does he do? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Watch this. There's protection in Psalm 23. He said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to face the enemy. Some of you may face them tomorrow at work. Some of you that have spouses and children that don't love the Lord and don't live for God and maybe they're not even saved. And uh, it's like that one song in your hymn book over here. And uh, it's in our, we have the same hymn book at our church here. And I was singing that in church one, one morning and it dawned on me. It, 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 uh, this, this song, The Sun's Coming Up in the Morning. You ever sing, you know what song I'm talking about? And it starts off, once again, I face Satan this morning. And then my wife said, I just told him to move over. And, uh, and I, <laughs> there's a presence with you somewhere. But guess what? Here's what he said about that. He said, I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. And thy rod and thy staff, here's what they do. They comfort me. Now, I've never had a child of mine say, Dad, you know that belt, that sure brings me a lot of comfort. <laughs> Man, that paddle, let me tell you. I'll never forget when I went to Bible college in Longview, Texas. I, when, <laughs> they, the kids in Louisiana, because we ran bus routes back then to Shreveport, Louisiana. And the kids, I was talking to a couple, bunch of the, my bus kids one day from Louisiana, and I said, I, we were talking about school or something like that. And the kid was like, yeah, man, da 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 I got a spanking the other day and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hold up. What did you just say? He said, well, I, got a, I got a spanking at school. I'm like, at school? Did you know this? It was like up until 20 years ago. They could still whoop kids in Louisiana. I think they're thinking about doing that here. No. And, uh, <laughs> never mind. And, uh. We usually don't look at instruments of correction as a comfort to us. That shepherd's staff, many times he'd come over. I, I can't remember if it was Episcopalian or Presbyterian churches. They used to have those, those, those staff. And when the kids were messing around in church, they'd go right upside their head. They had, there was a church in Milwaukee that got in trouble a couple of years ago. I say a couple. It's been like 25 years. When you're getting older, it's like the couple of years. It's like decades. Like the other day, I was in that. They got in trouble because they had what they called a whooping stick in their church. And parents could literally, you, you start acting crazy in church, some of y'all getting real nervous. And uh, some of these kids are like, thank you, Lord, we don't have one of those. They, the parents would just take that stick up, take them outside, come back in church. It was an attitude adjustment. That's what, the sh that's what the rod and the staff were to the sheep. They were instruments of correction. They were instruments of punishment. They were instruments that when they got out of line, you'd have to get them back in line with those instruments. But David said there's something very unique about this one. 
He said, when it comes to the rod and the staff of the Lord, they don't bring me terror. They bring me comfort. You say, why is that? (laughs) Because when you want to do what's right and you want to follow the shepherd, you don't fear his correction. It brings comfort to you. Because the same rod and the same staff that is there to bring you back in line is also the same rod and staff that's going to crack your enemy upside the head. And many of us, you say, what are you talking about? I believe the rod and the staff are the word of God, and I believe that is the corrective measures of God. It is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you tonight, I do not despise the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I do not despise the correction of the Holy Spirit. It brings me comfort to know that my God is still willing to correct me and that he's not going to kill me. But the Bible said, listen, he is there to correct us. He is there so that we respond to his voice. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and he scourges. That's a severe beating. Every son whom he receiveth. And he says, if you receive not, watch this. If you receive not the chastening of the Lord, then are ye bastards and not sons. You know what the conviction of the Lord ought to do to you? It's a, it's a confirmation of your salvation. Because if you, are, if you never are in church and you never get convicted by anything and God never speaks to your heart about anything, can I tell you, I'm not here and I'm not one of those preachers that comes in and preaches everybody lost so I can tell about all the people that I got recapped and conversions that I had for the fifth time the same person. But I'm telling you this, if you receive not the chastening of the Lord, you are not his child If you sit in church week after week after week after week and say, well, that's his opinion, and that's his opinion, and I'm not talking about his opinion. I'm talking about when he preaches the word of God. Listen to me. There ought to be something going on inside of you that is convicting you, that is convincing you, and that is correcting you. And when I experience the convicting hand of God, can I tell you, while it's not always comfortable, it is a comfort because I know I'm one of his. Because here's the deal. I don't go around whooping other people's kids. I'm too busy whooping my own. That's a full-time job right there. But you know what the Lord does? The Lord, the Bible says, he knows them that are his. And can I tell you, if, if you've got an old-fashioned preacher in your life, and you've got a church that is willing to point out and call sin, sin, you ought to thank God. And you ought to say amen to it. And you listen, if they're preaching from that book and they're standing on the word of God, and whether it rubs you the wrong way or not, if it's the word of God, you ought to say amen to it. Amen. In our church, we, we say either say amen or oh me. We got one of our deacons. Every time it gets hot, he's like, oh me. Some of you say, every time I come to this church, it rubs me the wrong way. Well, listen, why don't you turn around so it's rubbing you the right way then? But here's what we want out of our church is we want the church to turn around, don't we? We want the church, we want the pillar and the ground of the truth to turn around. Don't correct us, preacher. Get, correct somebody else. No, the conviction of the word of God, it ought to be a comfort to you. You ought to say, thank God, God is still working on me. And I tell you, if you're saved and he convicted you in the past, it ought to scare you to death if he stops convicting you. Every parent in this room, you know what I'm talking about. When our kids get a certain age, we, we're bothered by their noise, right, when they're little bitty kids. But I'm bothered by their silence. 
because I'm like, what are they getting into? Yeah. I mean, when you've got a two-year-old and it starts getting quiet, you're like, dear Lord, where's the peanut butter? Where's the flour? Where do they go to the bathroom? Is their diaper still on them? Yet I go to church with people week after week who have not felt the conviction of God in months. They've not heard his voice in a long time, and it doesn't bother them at all. If you listen to me, I don't believe I don't believe somebody ought to go to the ought to go to the front of the church every invitation, but I believe every one of us ought to go sometime. You may not listen. You may not be every service down here on the altar. You may not even be physically able to move, but I'm going to ask you, what's going on in your heart? What's going on with us that we're not even willing to bow the knee before an almighty God when he convicts us? And no longer do we repent, but we get angry at the one who presented the truth. When his rod and his staff ought to be comforting us, we ought to say, thank God we've got a preacher that will stand on the truth. Thank God we stand in a church that's not going to bow to the agenda of this world. Thank God we don't have a God. that is, We have a God, listen, that's not changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he begins to poke us a little bit, why don't we just say Hallelujah. And thank God for his rod and his staff. Some of us, well, people all the time, were you preaching at me? I thought, what am I supposed to preach to the wall? Here's, here's the kind of revivals that we like. And I, I'm telling you, I notice this all over America. This is why I don't get invited back some places. Because they want me to preach against everybody else who's not in the room. But when I start hitting the sins of the people in this room, we start getting real uneasy, don't we? Long as I preach against San Francisco, long as I preach against Hollywood, long as I preach against Seattle, we're all shouting hallelujah. But when I talk about gossip and not being pastorable and not going soul winning, then we get real quiet, don't we? Why don't we just say, man, thank God somebody's willing to challenge me from the word of God. Because that same rod and staff that you feel a little poke from, man, I'm so encouraged when I read Revelation. The Bible says... Man, we get to that revelation. He's going to rule the nations with, guess what? A rod of iron. The shepherd's coming back. And he's not a lamb this time, though. He's the avenging shepherd. Because the enemy's taken too many of his sheep. And the enemy has, has caused him too many problems. And now he's not coming back with a rod made out of wood. He is coming back with a rod of steel. And he's ready to bust some heads. And I'm telling you, there's not going to be a more comforting thing to the people of God and the children of Israel when Jesus comes back and he begins to judge the nations. And that same conviction that those Jews are going to experience all these years when he corrected them and he corrected them to try to bring them back to himself. By the way, that's biblical correction. Biblical correction was always meant to restore a person. Jesus is going to try to, he's, he's restored Israel time after time after time again. But when he comes back to establish his kingdom, guess what? He's not trying to restore everybody else. He's going to restore the nation of Israel, but he's going to rule this world with a rod of iron. And that's a comfort to me. Aren't you glad you have a shepherd that can take care of business? You know, in, in, in some of these Middle Eastern countries, you know, they have their little Buddha statues. Listen, I don't want to worship a God who looks like me. 
<laughs> Never mind. Father, forgive me for... And they, they came, they have those washing festivals every year. Some of you that know about their culture in China, they have these washing festivals, and they throw water balloons at each other. But it started out because they needed to wash their God off. Could you imagine having to wash your God? Could you imagine like Dagon having to pick your God up? Well, we serve a God that can take care of business. And here's what he's going to do. Watch this. I got to move along. I'm starting to get a little bit of hungry again. Watch what he says in here. Oh, look at this verse. Here's what he's going to do. There's protection. There's have, but then watch this. Thou preparest a table before me. Where does he do it? In the presence of mine enemies. This may mean nothing to you because you haven't seen those shepherd fields. Could you imagine? Look what your Bible says. Your Bible didn't say he's preparing a table for you after you all ran away from all the enemies because your shepherd is a scaredy cat. It says he is preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Could you imagine you see a pack of wolves over there? And you as a sheep, all you know is, bah, bah, bah. and you can see the wolves over there. And then all of a sudden, your shepherd's like, ah, this is like a good place to set up camp. I'd be like, you and your mama. <laughs> so out west here, everybody's like, oh, let's go camping. I'm like, no. Just keep me right in the city. Amen. I don't even want to see a big squirrel, <laughs> let alone a bear. Wherever the bears are, just put me in the opposite direction and let me camp there. You know, I, you ever see that one video, that woman, and she's, she's yelling at a bear. And she had gone like she had canoed to this one island. And, and there's no way on and off this island except by canoe. And her and like two of her buddies, had, they canoed over to this island. And this bear, he was like a genius. He swims over to the island, he gets their canoe, starts breaking their canoe, and then pushes it out. And I think his name was Yogi Bear. Anyways, uh, <laughs> might have been a cartoon I saw. And he starts breaking their canoe. And this lady, no, bear, bear, don't do that. No, bear. And I'm like, do you think he's like reasoning with you? I said, just text him. I mean, it'll work better. Bear, no, bear. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is a genius bear because he's about to have a huge Scooby snack in a minute <laughs> for this woman and her, and her companions. How'd you like to go to that island on purpose? Well, I got bear spray. Well, that's fantastic. And maybe your bear spray will work. But I'd rather not be in a place where I have to use bear spray. That's just me. But the shepherd, our shepherd says, I, I'm going to prepare you a table. Not far away. Not on the other coast. I'm going to prepare a table for you right in the face of your enemies. Mm. 
Do you know today, if you were going to Israel, do you know what God has done with the establishment of the nation of Israel? Do you know, if you were to look on a map, every nation surrounding Israel is their enemy? It's almost like he's prepared a table in the presence of their enemy. Do you know the moment the British, from the Balfour Declaration, do you know the moment that the British, the day the British said we are going to leave Palestine and the establishment of the Jewish state, do you know the day they said they were leaving out, I believe it was seven Arab countries immediately attacked them. And you can go back and you can look at that 1949 or 48. You can go back and look at 63. You can look at the Yom Kippur War. You can look at the Six Days War. You can look at it all. And the Bible says, guess what? He that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor does he slumber. He's not taking a day off. He's been preparing a table in the presence of their enemies. You remember in Psalm chapter 78? when it was given a recap of all that God done for the nation of Israel. And they, they, the Bible says he gave them water from great depths when they wanted water and when he wanted food. And they said, oh, we want the leeks and the garlic. And they said, give us some food. And God rained manna down from the sky. And then when they said, we want some meat, God not only, he stopped that. I told him yesterday, I was telling somebody, whoever I was with yesterday, I said, I said they missed a great opportunity, the nation of Israel. Think about it. When they, God rained bread from the sky, and then when they said they wanted meat, here's what God said to them. He said he's going to cause an east wind to come over the, over the sea and, and, and raise up quail out of the sea. You say, quail don't live in the sea. You listen to me. When God tells some quail to come out of the sea, they're going to come out of the sea. And the quail came out of there, and God said, I'm going to give you so much quail that your foot is not going to be able to touch the ground until you touch that quail. And he said, I'm going to give you so much quail, you're going to vomit it out of your nose. Some of them were going home. You, you study that out. Some of them were going home with 1,200 pounds of quail. I said they missed a great opportunity. They had the bread. They had the fowl. They could have created the first Chick-fil-A right there in the wilderness. I mean, right there. I knew that was the Lord's chicken. But God had provided all the... And then here's, and the Bible says this, preacher. It says, yet they spake against God. And here's what they said. Read, read Psalm 78 sometime. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I wonder if God can furnish us a table. He said, why the wilderness? Because when they were going through that wilderness, you remember it, they were walking through all of their enemies, weren't they? And David wrapped it all up in Psalm 23 and he said, that same God who took care of you for 40 years in the wilderness of Kadesh Barnea is the same God that can take care of you today. Some of you today, you are fighting against human flesh and blood. You are fighting a fight at work. You are fighting a fight against a lost spouse or against a lost family member or against a backslidden family member. Can I tell you, stop fighting because God is preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. 
We spend our time, but the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the spiritual wickedness uh, in high places. Listen to me tonight. Uh, even Michael, the Bible says the archangel, when disputing with Satan over the body of Moses in Jude, he said he did not bring, a, he durst not bring against him a railing accusation. But here's what Michael, the archangel, he said, the Lord rebuke thee. Jonathan had a smart answer. When his armor bearer and him came up against those garrison of the Philistines and he said, oh, he said, it may be that the Lord will fight for us. And sometimes you don't need to fight with the Lord. Sometimes you just need to let the Lord have the battle because he can prepare a table for in the presence of your enemies. I had a boss one time right in the middle, right in the middle of the crash of 2008. Some of y'all remember this. When all the economy, I mean, just 2007, 2000, just tanked, everything tanked. And I was working in our school at the time, but I said, preach, I said, I said if you got to lay somebody off, lay me off. I don't plan on being a teacher forever. And so I stepped back in my duties at the church, and I was driving for a limousine company. And before that, they had given me, they had literally given me a double raise that year because I was doing such a good job for them. The problem with that is this. Because it's a tip ministry, a tip uh, uh, service industry, he actually could pay me. They were paying me like six fifty an hour as a base, but they could actually pay me two fifty an hour because I got tips. But if they had given me raise after raise after raise, I had people left and right requesting me to be their drivers. I'd driven some of the Bucks players, the the Bucks, uh, the Brewers All Star players. We, I drove them when they flew back in from the All Star game. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, I come in one day, and out of the blue, he starts firing select people, all of us that were making a little more money. And he was hiring all the new guys at the low rate. He was going to save him some money. And he began to finagle. He tried to lie and say something went wrong with one of my And so I, I, I walked in one day. He didn't expect me. I walked right into his office. I said, hey, can I talk to you? Oh, uh, 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 what's going on? And he began to spew the most, I mean, just vile stuff out of his mouth. And I sat there, and I started laughing. And he's like, what are you, what's your problem? And I said, I know what you're doing. He said, what am I doing? And I watched this. I got, I got, I had one kid, another one about to be born on the way. I said, you're hiring everybody here. When I'm up here, and I said, you're getting rid of everybody that's making any money. And here's what he said to me. He said, in this economy, I can do what I want to do. That's what he said to me. Now, the jiu-jitsu instructor, part of me, wanted to jump across that desk and arrange his meeting with him and the Lord. <laughs> Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> Watch this. It was almost like the Lord put that verse on my mind. And he said, I got this. Let me take care of it. I was like, well. And he probably thought I was going. <laughs> the bus kid in me almost came. I almost cussed him out. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I started using, I started, I wanted to use some words that only deacons use, but I didn't. <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me. All right. I said, I said, well, sir, 
I said, I want to thank you for the opportunity the last four years of working here. And I said, God's going to take care of me, and God's going to take care of this. And he very arrogantly said, yeah, I guess he will. Walked out of there, handed my gas card in, never looked back. I discovered later, one of the other men worked there. I got him a job there, and the lady who was instrumental, who hated me, they hated the fact that him and I were preachers. They hated it. He eventually got, they got him as well. They hated it. The woman that was behind it all, two weeks later, was unceremoniously walked out and fired. Later, that company lost their franchise to be under this international organization. Later, all of the drivers began to leave and abandon the place. You see, when, when you don't try to fight the battles yourself and you just let God prepare the table, you'll be shocked at what he, what he does in the presence of your enemies. We had a young man who got bitter at our church, didn't, started getting hateful. He came into our church one day, broke in, some people that hated our church convinced him to leave. He came into our church and wrote on our pulpit some of the filthiest words in the English language. We had At the time, we had a church in a gymnasium. He started, you've, you've been there, of course, basketball stuff. And he wrote, I mean, tomorrow, every four-letter word you could imagine on our bleachers. Permanent marker. He thought he was going to show them. Two weeks later, found him at the bottom of a pool. You see, I don't worry about my enemies. And I'm not saying that young man was my personal enemy. But I am saying this. Maybe you're fighting some battles right now that you need to give that battle to the Lord. And maybe when you stop fighting, God can now take up the battle. And to begin to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I said, there's protection. Watch this. He said this. I don't know where I left my Bible. It's somewhere. Okay, here we go. We're almost done tonight. Watch this very quickly. He said, thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. I'm glad for this. There's power in Psalm 23. There's power. Don't you know what that oil represented? The Holy Spirit. And God said, hey, if you'll just let me fight the battle, here's what I'm going to do. If you'll let me fight that battle, then I can empower you to fight the battles you're supposed to fight. I can then come and anoint you with power. I can endue you with power from on high. This is why he told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said, I want you, you guys don't worry about fighting right now. Peter, he's taking the sword off Malchus' servant, cutting off heads as Jesus and gets him. Jesus said, put your sword away. It's not that time to fight. Jesus raises from the dead. They see him in his resurrected form for 40 days. And then he, of course, is about to descend up into the, uh, off of the Mount of Olives. He's about to go into heaven. And the angels are standing. But before he left, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tarry at Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. He said, I want you to sit still until he anoints your head with oil. 
you look throughout the Bible, who was anointed? Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. Servants of God were anointed. And God said, here's what I want you to do. If you'll stop fighting the battles that you're supposed to fight, I've got an anointing for some other battles that you're going to fight. They're spiritual battles. And you know everybody in this room tonight, you have a spiritual battle that God wants you to take up, and you're going to need the power of God. But if you're too busy fighting everything else, you're not going to be able to fight the spiritual battles you need to fight. The reason why some of us cannot fight the spiritual battles, we're too busy fighting with our husbands and our wives. Young people, you're too busy fighting mom and dad. There's a, there's a way more important battle. There's a battle for your purity. There's a battle for your morality. There's a battle for, listen, your faith tonight. And some of you are going to lose that battle because you're too busy fighting the wrong battles. And he wants to anoint you to fight the right battles. But watch this. There's not only the power that comes from this anointing, but there's a purification that comes with this anointing. Most of us don't know this because we don't take care of cattle. But oftentimes sheep, there's little bugs that live on the eyelids of sheep. And they will irritate and irritate and irritate the sheep. So much so that you'll find a sheep, it'll go against a stone or a rock somewhere and they will beat their head against that rock just trying to find some relief from the irritation or the impurity that is in their bodies and here's what the shepherd will do that shepherd will bring that sheep close to himself and he will take oil and he will anoint he will put that that sheep's head in between his knees here and it will begin to anoint the head of that sheep with the oil you say why does he do that he does it for two reasons. Number one, because those bugs that live on their eyelids that are irritating them, they cannot breathe because of the viscosity of that oil. And it will begin to purify their eyesight by the anointing of God. You know, for some of you this week, through the preaching and the singing of the word of God, God is trying to use the Holy Ghost. God is trying to use some of his men that they might take your head here and they might begin to use the Holy Spirit of God to bring about some purification of some things you've been seeing and allowing into your eyes and the impurities that's been there. But not only the impurity of the eyes, oftentimes when they will have a sore, they will also anoint that sore with oil because it acts as a barrier of purification. This is also why you remember when the thief, when the, when the good Samaritan came by and the man that was robbed there and he was stripped naked and he was beaten, the Bible says he poured oil into his wounds. You know why? Because that's what the Holy Ghost does. He begins to purify you and he begins to cleanse some of the wounds that are in your life. There's some of you sitting on the sound of my voice right now. You've got some wounds in your life that are 30 and 40, 20, 15 years old. And because we do not allow the ministering of the Holy Spirit of God, we have not allowed him to come anoint our wounds and to pour the oil of the Holy Ghost of God. That's why Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send you a comforter, a paraclete, somebody to come alongside of you and help you heal and help you with the hurts in your life. Listen to me. Maybe God sent this preacher from the state of Wisconsin 
something so that he could remind you that the Holy Ghost wants to pour into your life and begin to purify you and begin to heal the wounds that are in your life. Maybe you need that tonight. Maybe God wants to take his spirit and begin to heal the wounds that only he can heal and begin to purify some things out of your life. Not only is there purification, I want you to watch this. He said, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Oh, there's purification and there's power. But then he said this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. This is a smart crowd. I want to thank God that at the end of it all, mm, there's a place. There's a place. He said, there's an everlasting place. There is a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. And the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, and no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that'll be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, and no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that'll be. One of our last days, really, our, I think it was our last day in Israel. Our bus driver, he was a man raised Jewish, and he had been saved several years before we ever got in contact with him, and his name was Ron. And Ron, every day, he would always say, does anybody know what today is? And because we were so messed up on that schedule, because you lose a day or gain a day, whatever that is, you know, coming back and forth over there, and we're all like, well, is it Tuesday? Is it Monday? We don't even know. He'd say, oh, no, no, no. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And we'd go, oh, that's right. And then he'd say, do you guys know that song? And like, yeah, we know it. And he'd say, Calvin, here's the mic. Lead the song. And then I'd say, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath. And we'd leave it every morning, he'd say that. He got up the next day, anybody know what day it is? And somebody who forgot said, it's Wednesday. No, it's the day what the Lord hath made, we rejoice and be glad in it. Sing it, Calvin. Well, we had a little bit of a ride. We were up in the north, in Galilee. And we were driving from Tiberias, next to the Sea of Galilee. We were going to go to... Uh, Caesarea on the Mediterranean. It's our last day. And we had about an hour drive, hour or so drive. And he said, anybody, he said, he said, Calvin, want to sing something? I, I just began to sing something. And he's like, lead us in some songs. And I started taking requests from people. And then it's just like, somehow we just got on this like heaven rut. And I'm, sing, I'm here and we're like, we're right here in Israel. And I began to, I, 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 and I, all, most of the songs people knew. We just, we just got into like this heaven rut. And I began to sing, There waits for me a glad tomorrow Where gates of pearl swing open wide 
And when I've crossed this veil of sorrow, I'll dwell upon the other side. Someday beyond the reach of mortal kin, someday God only knows just where and when, the wheels of mortal life shall all stand still. And I shall go to dwell on Zion's hill. I mean, I'm in Israel singing about going to dwell on Zion's hill. Someday the dark clouds will be lifted and all the night of gloom be past and all life's burdens will be lifted. The day of rest shall come at last. Someday I'll hear the angels singing beyond the shadow of the tomb with all the bells of heaven ringing while saints are singing home sweet home someday beyond the reach of mortal kin someday god only knows just where and when the wheels of mortal life shall all stand still and i shall go to dwell on zion's hill i'm glad there's a place that at the end of it all there's a heaven that awaits for me since my sister, of course, 27 years, I may have talked about it last year when I was here. My 27-year-old sister went home to be with the Lord very prematurely after having a medical procedure done that should have been pretty routine. And I tell you, since heaven is more real to me than it has ever been. I remember we were singing in my church, and it's almost like... You, you, we, we, I've been in places where I think I was talking to you about this and I, I could sing songs about heaven and I, I could almost see, I, I remember our, our pastor's uh, brother-in-law Pastor Rose and he was singing in our choir for as long as he could and many didn't know that he had early, he had early onset dementia towards the end of his life and, and I remember we, we would sing the song I'm going to a city where the roses never fade and I can just I can still see him right now in the choir, he closed his eyes and tears would just begin to stream down his face. Dr. Don Rose was his name. He was going to a city where the roses never fade. I remember singing in the choir, him and Mrs. Rose, been up there. she's still at our church, and in a land where we'll never grow old. And the further I go in my Christian life, I'm trying to get less of my focus down here and more of my focus up there. I'm telling you, Christians, we spend far too much time on the houses of this world and not enough of our focus and attention on dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know any problem that you face down here is temporary? It's temporary. Any enemy you face down here, any tumultuous time, any storms that you face, every single one of them is temporary. But you are going to a place. Jesus said there'll be no more death, nor sighing. The former things have all passed away. He said, I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. 
you're going to that place if you're saved. And I think we ought to have a revival in our churches of getting our eyes off of the nasty now and now and back on the sweet by and by. One of my favorite hymn books is the Red Back Church Hymnal. ton of songs about heaven. But do you know when most of them were written? They were written during the Great Depression. Most of the songs that you sing about heaven were written during the Great Depression because people knew the key to lifting their spirits, the key to following the shepherd in Psalm 23 was not focusing on everything that was going on down here, but getting our eyes focused on what is going up there. Some of us need to cut off some of the news stations and cut off talk radio and cut off our discussions about whatever and turn up heaven again. We're floating down the stream of time. We have not long to wait. The stormy clouds of darkness will turn to brightest day. Then let us all take courage, for we're not left alone. The lifeboat soon is coming to gather his children home. So cheer, my brother, cheer. Our trials will soon be o'er. Our loved ones we shall meet, shall meet upon that golden shore. We're pilgrims and we're strangers here. We're seeking a city to come. The lifeboat soon is coming to gather his children home. It's coming. It's coming. He's coming and I'm a going. Can I encourage you tonight? You want to live a Psalm 23 life? What, what if this week you just turned off the television set and you just focused in on what God wants to do in your heart? What if you just said, you know, that newspaper article, it'll be there next week. Your favorite show, tape it, watch it some other time. What if we just got our eyes off of the world and we just said, you know, goodness and mercy, we're going to focus on where we're going. Here's what it says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I think some of us, we just need to stop and say, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. See, Psalm 23 is not, let's, let's not wait Till we're laid out in the casket in the church to appreciate Psalm 23. Let's just say, I want to live it now. And while all those things God's doing, he's protecting us and he's leading us in the paths, all the while we're going to focus on heaven. Man, we could, I'm telling you, I, so many songs of heaven. I have a playlist on my phone right now. It's just called heaven. And whenever I get discouraged, I remember I was driving out my kids sometimes. I know they, they, they think dad's crazy, and they're partially right. And I, I was, I was my, it was about a year after, probably about a year after my sister went home to be with the Lord, and it was coming near that anniversary time. And, and uh, we were in the car. I think we're on our way to the gym. And uh, 
I was listening to the old Inspiration Quartet. And uh, they were singing a song, I've made it, thank God I've made it. My feet have touched the streets of gold. Heaven's real. And I want to spend the rest of my life focused on the eternal. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Lord, we sure do want to respond to what you've been doing in our hearts. With our heads bowed and eyes closed here tonight, I wonder if you'd say, Brother Alan, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. I have a Bible answer. I don't just think so, hope so. I'm not 99% sure. I know that I know that if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven because of the Bible. I could give you a Bible reason. If that's you here tonight, would you slip a hand up and say, Brother Alan, it's me. I'm saved and I know it. I've been shown from the scriptures how to be saved. I've received Christ as my personal Savior. Wonderful. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight. There was one this morning that I prayed for that raised their hand and didn't come forward. But I wonder if there's anybody here tonight. You may put your hands down. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight say, Brother Alan, I'm not saved. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I want to receive Christ. Would you pray for me that I could do that? If that's you here tonight, would you slip a hand up just like those other people? I'll pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I promise you. By your admission, you folks are saved in here tonight. If I asked you tonight and I brought a microphone to your lips and I said, what has God done in your heart tonight? Has he done anything? If he has, can I encourage you? Let's bow the knee and let's respond.